this evening, we continue with our sermon series, um, and it's on Seeking God. And it's kind of the capstone of our year. Uh, it, it kind of follows this theme of knowing God um, know and, and nowhere to hide. And the, the question is, how well have we done that this year? How well have we, we been able to, to kind of know where to hide and, and expose ourselves, uh, re- realizing that we don't have a place to hide? And so, yeah, we, we are now um, into the series. And I want to kind of direct us again this evening to that space. It is, it is actually asking the question, how do we live a more fulfilled life? How do we draw closer to Christ that he is not just this intellectual exercise? Um, and it, it kind of reminds me of a phrase that we've found in the books that, that, that kind of repeats at the beginning, which says, it doesn't have to be this way. Um, your life as, uh, as you experience it, it doesn't have to be this way. And so last week, we, we kind of focused on repentance. Jan spoke about that, of changing direction and how that should be uh, something that we saw, uh, seek after, that, that is such a positive experience, something that the Christians should run towards. And I think it is such a great setup for this evening uh, specifically um, where we, we now ask uh, the question, what, what do we want? What do you want? And I want to start this evening um, with that's uh, uh, well, as a spiritual exercise. So the first thing that I, I want you to do this evening is to close your eyes um, and just quiet yourself. And then I want you to imagine that Christ is in front of you and that he asks you, what do you want? What do you want? It's a very loaded question, and your mind can maybe go everywhere. You might feel to give a pious answer, um, or you can think of your family or work or problems. But try, try and direct that idea towards Christ. I'm going to give us about 20 seconds. Okay, you can open your eyes. Okay, so in taking that into consideration, um, we, we will approach our, our evening that way. Some of you might be asking, is this even a good question to ask? Um, should, we, should we be focusing on what we want? Should, should we not rather focus on what God wants? And uh, so to just give us some grounding, scriptural grounding for um, where we're heading, I want to quickly uh, take us through three verses um, um, before we head into our main text, which is going to be John 4, um, thinking on the uh, Samaritan woman. Um, I also want to look at a few other figures just to, to show us 
um, how prevalent this idea is, and, and I'm going to stand still a little bit with Solomon as well. So it's going to be a little bit, um, yeah, there, there's going to be a lot, but um, I think we, we will get through it. Um, so the first thing um, is a verse, it's Matthew 6 verse 33, and we all are very well, it's, it's a very well-known verse, um, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now I want us to notice two things there. The first is there is no king, uh, kingdom without a king, and so you can almost relate that to seek first the king. Um, seek the king and his kingdom. Um, and then also I want us to note that these other things aren't just discarded. Uh, discarded. It's, uh, it's also given to us. It says, and all these other things will be added to you. A second verse I, I want us to ponder is Proverbs 13 verse 12. And it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is the tree of life. And so it's very interesting here. It's, um, desire here is almost equated to eternal life, um, uh, this idea of the tree of life. Um, so our desires is in some way connected to, uh, to an eternity of, of peace and um, longevity of everything beautiful. And on the other side of that, it says hope deferred makes the heart sick. If, if we are longing after something and that is not fulfilled, after a while we become sick. And maybe if we neglect God, that he, he becomes just an idea and not a person. And in that, um, our hearts become sick. We, we do not reach out to God as, as we ought to. I want to point us to another verse, Genesis 3 verse 6, and it reads, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Um, the word here for the delight to the eyes, it's a desire to the eyes. It's tava. It's the same word in, in Hebrew that we had in the previous uh, verse um, that says desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And, and so I want to kind of put us into that difficult tension that our desires can lead us astray. But at the same time, our desires is something that God has planted in us. And the thing is that we are actually creatures that act on our desires. If we look at Eve, or um, we live by what we desire. Um, and we could maybe argue that we desire because God is a God of who desires. And it must be noted that God does not need us. Um, God is fully sufficient in himself. But he created us. Uh, he, he created us um, because he had a desire. Um, he had a desire for relationship with us and for our goodness and all to show his glory. But again, we can say that we have desires because we are made in the image of the God who has desires. Uh, desires is one of the, the few ways of touching God, wrote uh, Catherine of uh, Siena. You have nothing infinite except your soul's love 
and desire. And, um, and so today I want to stand still um, with what to do with our desires. How do we bring them to God? How do we discern our desires? And to, to that I want to, to bring us into our main text. Um, and that's going to be focusing on uh, the Samaritan woman. So the text is John 4 from verse 5 to 42. And you are welcome to open your scriptures if you have your Bibles. Um, but uh, I see people have become very comfortable trusting the preacher to kind of just read it to them. So I'll give us just a sec longer. Okay, I'll read for us. So it's from chapter 4, verse 5 to 42. This is Jesus. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, midday. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it, uh, it is that he's saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked, and he would have given you living water. The woman said, uh, said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will uh, give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, 
I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there is yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I send you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans came from that town and believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you say that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So, this is actually a very, very thick text, um, and I am not going to do it justice. Um, But what I want us to do is focus on this woman's need and desire. I'm not going to go through everything. I want to focus specifically on the needs and desires of of both those Jesuses and the disciples. And the first thing I want us to recognize is that she comes to the well uh, coming for a very basic need, a daily task of drawing water, um, something that she needs every day, almost a very superficial desire, something that she didn't really have to think on, um, just to quench her thirst. And Jesus used this, and he points to something deeper, a deeper spiritual need for her. Um, he shows... or it. Uh, He points her, he gives her perspective on all of her life. Instead of just being stuck in a daily task, in a daily emotion, he he points her and says, "Um, you've had five husbands, thinking back on her history. So this is a woman who've had many relationships, and all of them went wrong. And now she is alone at the well, and as we know the story, it is as she's shunned almost. She's outside of community alone at this well. And again, I cannot help but think 
Um, we as humans are very complex. Uh, she, she must have many desires, many questions in her life. I think specifically if you have the time to go alone all this way to the well. But these things has kind of just settled for her. Um, nothing changes. And, and so she, she just looks at her mundane activity. She thinks of what she can do immediately, her immediate responsibilities. You can even see it in the way she addresses Jesus. When, when Jesus says, I've got this... Um, this water, um, this living water, the way she addresses him, um, it almost feels to me as it is sarcasm. It's like, okay, if you can give me water, then give me, give me this eternal water. I'm sick of coming to this well. Um, so then that need is at least fulfilled. Um, you can come and, and give your water. Uh, she also plays on the necessity of the well, um, that this well is there and it has... Uh, sustained generations. It sustained um, Jacob and his family, and now them too. A very physical responsibility that we all carry. And, and maybe that's the question that, that I want to pose to you again this evening. It is, are you stuck in your responsibilities? Um, are you adulting so much that you just kind of have to do what you do, and you kind of neglect your deeper needs? And your need to, to maybe meet with Christ, would you even recognize him? Would you find it significant if the Christ um, pitched up at your work? <laughs> um, and this is kind of the, the opportunity that she has. So again, Jesus points her to all of her life, um, the things that has gone astray and gone wrong. And she recognizes that she is in need. And the way she answers, she says, a Messiah is coming. Things will be, will be put right. The Christ is coming. Um, and Jesus then answers by saying, I am this Christ whom you seek. Um, he also directs her to worship in spirit and truth. Um, uh, well, actually, this is for the disciples. Maybe, maybe I should continue with, with that section. Um, yeah, I, I think... Uh, Moving on to the disciples. So at that point, the disciples enter the scene. And they also point to a very um, visceral, just a, a very direct need. Uh, they've been traveling, and it almost comes across like they want to force feed Jesus. They're like, have you eaten? You should eat. Who gave him food? Um, he's the Messiah. We need to get him, get, get his strength up. That's almost kind of how I feel when I read some of these repetitions of this need that they want to address. And Jesus is, is not, not having it. He is, again, going off on some or another tangent. He's saying, I have food that you do not know about. And what he's doing, he's lifting their gaze um, away from normal food. Maybe, maybe it's a short reflection. This is, this is not gluttony. Um, but what is gluttony? Um, gluttony may be trying to find comfort in food, um, trying to find peace. I don't know how many of you today just wanted to get away from your life, and it could be a normal sabbatical moment. But sometimes we neglect people, and we, we go and eat. Um, and maybe we numb our feelings a little bit. Uh, we even have a little bit of a reverse of that. We get hangry um, if we don't eat. Um, I kind of like to, to explain our, our stomachs as a god, as an idol, as um, um, 
yeah, an insatiable God, that it requires a sacrifice every day. Um, every day you have to give it food, and it is never satisfied. And, um, and so now Jesus kind of, he, he responds to this, and, and not as a glutton, but he doesn't want food. He is ordering his loves. He's saying he's sustained by something else. He's saying, look up. Don't you recognize what just happened? There's a woman in deep need. The fields are ripe, and she is coming to me, and I'm sustained by doing my father's will. Um, but again, they see just the, the mundane responsibilities that we all have, that we all have to carry. And so uh, there's something to see in this, this ordering of loves. Um, it is interesting that the way that Jesus kind of approaches us, at times it seems, to awaken us to this need, is looking at our physical needs. He is... He's pointing to, to bread and water and maybe um, using that as a realization and um, also calling us to our desperation for something more and something maybe as visceral as food and, and drink. And we know this because he follows up on that. Two chapters later, he feeds 5,000. Um, and in John 6 verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Again, this is, um, this, is this idea. He, he puts these two needs, drinking and eating, and um, how we, um, we have these needs. And, and look at uh, what he parallels along with those things. He says, whoever comes to me and whoever believes in me, um, he's equating these two things. If our faith struggles... If we do not have um, the will or the heart, then maybe what we need to do is just start coming to God. Um, and in that need, we, we, will, we will realize our deeper desperation and our deeper needs. Um, so just thinking on that, I, I want to take us through a few other figures um, showing us how God is interested in our desires and how he wants to, to know what you, uh, what you want. And kind of, I think, also fulfilling that ultimate need. And, and so it brings me to my next biblical figure, Solomon. And Solomon is at the beginning of his kingly career. And he is untried and he's inexperienced. And he is beset by all kinds of doubt. Um, that is kind of the position that we should expect Solomon to be in. Think of it this way. Um, you're in your 20s, and they tell you, you're president um, with the ESCOM problem and whatever else. Who wants that job? Um, and who thinks they have the capacity to, to carry that weight? And so Jesus, um, well, not Jesus, God, um, but our God, he, pitch, uh, he pitches up in a dream. And he asks Solomon, what do you want? What do you want? The question I kind of opened up with this evening. And the way we answer that question uh, will tell us a lot about the state of our soul, um, where, where we jump to in our hearts. Again, I want to kind of emphasize how God always reaches out to us in this way. There's a few biblical figures where we kind of see this. Um, we see it with Elijah, who's passing his cloak to Elisa. 
And as he passes his cloak, he asks him, what, did, what do you want? And Elisa says, I want a double portion of what you had. I want a double portion of your spirit. And, and it is explained, that's a difficult thing, but you can have it. Uh, in another sense, it, it's always also to expose that the answer isn't always just as simple. It is a complex question that is posed to us. Um, another instance might be with uh, the disciples of John. And when they start to become intrigued with Jesus and they start to walk after Jesus, Jesus turns around and he asks, what are you seeking for? What are you seeking for? And they, they answer and say, where do you stay? And he says, come and follow me, let, let me show you, which is a whole other sermon. But in essence, it's very much that same question, speaking to our desires. And one uh, you should also meditate on. A Bible study we did this week, if you followed the, um, the Bible study uh, with, the, with this sermon series, we had, um, who is our character? I want to say Bartholomew, but that is um, not, I think, the right pronunciation. I've messed up his name. Bartholomew, there, there it is, son of honor. And he is blind, and so, so God, God has to know. He wants to be healed from his blindness. But he asks him again, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And it comes with a lot of overtones and undertones um, of uh, Bartholomew recognizing who God is, even though he is blind. And all of us have some spiritual blindness. All of us needs God to, to kind of speak to us and open our, the eyes of our hearts to, to see him. Again, maybe going a little bit outside of Scripture, and this is in, in church tradition, um, we have um, we have St. Thomas Aquinas. And there's this moment, a key moment in, in his life where he, he sits in front of a crucifix and he prays. He, he, he's deeply involved with God. He gives his time. He seeks God. And he hears an audible voice. God says, you have written well of me. What would you have as a reward? And the way he answers might become, it should maybe become a motto for all of us. He says, Domine non nisi te. Lord, nothing except you. I'll have nothing except you. Which is, by the way, the right answer if, uh, if you're wondering how we should answer to this. But it is, so, it is so abstract if we have to think about the person of Christ and, and to jump to that place. Um, Trevor Hudson, who wrote this book, Seeking God, says, even though he knows what, what all of us ultimately needs and... and, and is God, and that we can only be fulfilled, all our desires can only be fulfilled in God. He says to say to a person um, what you need is, is God, it, it has no impact directly. There is work that you have to do. You have to meet with Christ personally. And maybe that's again an invitation to next Saturday, um, to spend time with God. One, one place we should kind of get to when we think about God um, is, is a husband that comes home on an anniversary date. 
and uh, he's got the flowers behind his back, and, uh, and he has keys for the house, but he's knocking because he wants to make an entrance. And, um, and so he knocks, and his wife opens the door, and he comes out with the flowers. And she's like, oh, wow, this is, this is wonderful. Why have you done this? Um, and he says, because it's my duty. Um, and that's like, no, no, that's, that's not how that goes. Um, but is that the way that you may be approaching God? That you feel, no, it's my duty, I, I must do it. Or do, should a husband come to the door and knock and say, here's the flowers, I'm taking you out. Um, I, I'm so in love with you, Let, let's go out for this evening. And, and that is kind of the response, I think, that St. Thomas Aquinas gave. I want nothing but you. Um, again, I want to kind of draw us back because maybe Solomon is, it's first posed and posited to him in, in the Old Testament, this direct question, what do you want? Um, so I want to reflect a little bit more on him. Um, so he says, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people and to distinguish right from, from wrong. Give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people and distinguish right from wrong. And God is pleased with this answer that he promises that he will, will, give, uh, that he will give it to Solomon. He will make him the wisest man who has ever lived. And you, uh, listen to how God, God answers. He says, because you have asked for this and not for long life for yourself or for riches or for the life of your enemies, I will do as you requested. Uh, and it's interesting, isn't that the temptations? Thinking of other things to fulfill us, our direct needs. But what we ultimately need is maybe, is maybe God. So, so God is pleased with us, and, and not in some mythological way, as Zeus is egotistical, that we need to approach him like he's pleased, and, and, and therefore he, his name is made uh, great. It is rather when, when God is pleased with us, the reason for that is because it always brings us to a deeper life, and that is an interpretive key for us. When, whenever we read in the scriptures um, that God is pleased, uh, you, can, you can look out for it. it there's a, there's a direct correlation as well uh, with those who love him that it is that he, he wants to make us more fully alive. Um, and so he's happy with Solomon's answer because the answer, it is the answer that, that's going to make Solomon more spiritually alive. Um, and, and that's why God is pleased. Uh, another thing to, to ponder about, wisdom is a big word. Solomon asks for wisdom. So why precisely um, does he ask for a wise heart? What, what, what is that? Um, again, I'm, I'm not going to be exhaustive in this, but I think a, a good way to ponder it, how there is angles to this question, what do you want, and that wisdom is a good answer, is... To, to ask for wisdom is kind of to get the perspective of God over your life. 
as, as God has shown the Samaritan woman um, her whole life and then said, um, but I will give you water. You are still accepted. You will not first. Um, and here he says to Solomon as well, um, I will give you wisdom. Again, Thomas Aquinas, he says, wisdom is the view from the hilltop. And it means that it is from the standpoint of the highest cause. So we, are, we, are, we don't just look at our lives uh, from our own perspective, something that we fall into. We don't just look at our lives through our peers and friends. We don't just look at our lives through uh, our culture's expectation, uh, a, a pressure that is, that is very real. Um, these are tiny foothills, but it is, it is not the peak. It is not God's perspective. Um, and again, what do you want? And the way that uh, Solomon answers, I think, helps him again direct and order his loves. He's not overtaken by wealth um, or power initially. I think his end is more fully woman um, in the end that leads him to, to false gods. But it is this idea of, um, of him who asked for this wisdom. And in it, these things did not consume him directly. He had the wisdom how to deal with these biggest of problems, running, running this kingdom, um, sorting out ESCOM uh, in, in some sense. Um, and he was not toppled by those things. And if I think of this, I cannot help but think of uh, St. Augustine. Um, and what he says is uh, virtue is defined as uh, rightly ordered loves. So goodness, whatever we perceive to be good, um, um, is defined as our, our desires or our loves rightly ordered. And this is how he says it. He says, but, but living a just and holy life requires one to be capable of an objective and impartial evaluation of things, to love things, that is to say, in the right order, so that you do not love what is not to be loved or fail to love what is to be loved or have a greater love for what should be loved less or an equal love for things that should be loved less or more, or a lesser or greater love for the things that, that should be loved equally. That's about as complex as, as one can state our lives. Um, and so, yeah, beneath Augustine's conception of virtue as, as rightly ordered loves, as um, the, um, the ultimate good, our desires um, ordered for, for goodness, is a foundational conviction about the nature of reality. It's a core belief about what he believes reality is. And so he, he believed in a sunum bonum, um, that the, the highest good was God himself, that the thing then most to be desired was God himself, and that all other goods are lesser goods that flow from his hand. It is intended to lead us back to him. Um, and this, this thing uh, leads us to, to actually an ultimate joy. Uh, I'll read Augustine again. For, for there is a joy that is not given to those who do not love you, but only to those who love you for your own sake. You yourself are their joy. Happiness is to rejoice in you and for you and because of you. This is happiness, and there is no other. Those who think that there is another kind of happiness look for joy elsewhere, but theirs is not true joy. And so the Christian is made alive 
um, to experience joy and experience pain. Um, and that, that, I think, stays my prayer for us. Um, we can define sin in, through this framework. Uh, sin springs from, from our hearts, and it is, a, it is a neglect of God as the supreme good. And people seek their happiness in lesser goods. Um, they ignore the, the order and the nature of, of reality. And so the heart of evil is to prefer uh, lesser goods. Uh, Augustine again, these are thy gifts. Thy are good, for, thy, uh, for though in thy goodness has made them, nothing in them is from us, save for sin, when neglectful of order. We fix our love on the creature instead of thee, the creator. We start to worship the creature and other things. And then a part of our, our work as Christians is then one of our aims is learning to, to love and enjoy God through the things that he has made. Um, in some sense, it is, it's kind of seeing uh, how C.S. Lewis puts it. We have to follow um, the ray back to the sun. Um, the question is, how do we do this? And I think it is, um, as our desires are being met, we have to acknowledge them before God. And, and, and already we are taught to do this in our prayer lives. Um, one of the, maybe it's become too mundane, but when we eat, we pray and we recognize that this bread um, is good for us, but the source is the bread of life. And we taste and, and that we see that God is good. Um, another thing I, I always find so fascinating, we, we fish in water again, Singing is a weird thing. We open our, our voices and we just kind of squawk and, um, and we do it in unison and then everybody get, get the feels. Um, it's, a, it's a very weird thing. But when, when we have that, maybe we should, we should recognize um, that, that music is also just an echo of the original voice, of uh, the voice that birthed creation, of God. Um, so every good and perfect thing comes from, from above. And in conclusion, I kind of want to bring us back to this question, what do you want? Um, I cannot help but think of a genie, uh, the genie in Aladdin, and uh, it, it he always gives free wishes. And, and maybe just... I like to give this complexity because it isn't easy to answer this question. Um, but maybe three things that we, we can praise the virtues of faith, hope, and love. Um, faith to, to be bound um, and to trust in, in Christ, to know that he made a way. Um, there's a reason why we trust in Christ. Because in and of ourselves, um, we are fallen and broken. And it's only in him that a, a way is made. Hope, because then we can face whatever is in this world. Um, There's a very broken world, and we, we need hope. Without that, you will not be able to order your, your life correctly. And, and love, to serve others freely and without expectation, even when they hurt us, because we see this in our God who, who loved us first. 
Um, so I leave us with that question, and I, I really want you to, to go home, even this evening, ask yourself, stand before God, what do you want? Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are um, a living God and who is invested in our being and our emotions um, for your righteousness, for your goodness, but you've planned good things for us. Um, I pray that you satisfy our deepest, deepest needs um, where we are also misplacing our, our wants and needs, where we maybe think we are righteous, but we're not. We are not following you. We are not being sustained by you. And maybe there's burnout in our lives. Um, I, I want to pray for your, your wisdom, your perspective over our lives, that we, that we do not get sucked in into just the mundane and just our routines, um, but that we recognize that there's more valuable things, um, that we are directed. Why do we do what we do? I, I want to ask you that you help us order our loves, that we see you as, as our first love, our foremost love, and that we do not just do it as duty, but as an engagement, um, as, a, as a love relationship, as you marrying your church. Um, I put all of this at your feet. Um, help us with this difficult question. In Christ's name, amen.